0: Good to see everyone here this evening, and I'm glad that we have an opportunity to study another portion of God's Word. Studying the book of Ecclesiastes is certainly one that is humbling, and yet it's rewarding. Those of you each week who have been listening to these lessons, several of you have come out and said, those lessons seemingly touch where I live. And I would dare say that most of us, as we study the book of Ecclesiastes, realize that it's very difficult to understand at times, and yet when you get through studying the book, you come away with a greater appreciation for God and the way God has dealt with man. It is both complex and challenging. Uh, If you think the book of Ecclesiastes is easy to study, you haven't studied it very much. Uh, I find myself studying through, reading, and trying to comprehend, and then going back and to say, well, what was Solomon trying to say, and how does that apply to the way God would have me to live? It helps you to have a proper attitude toward this world and all the world offers. Because the truth is, this world that you and I live in has a lot of flaws in it. It not only has a lot of flaws in it, there's a lot of deceiving things there's things that may appear to be good but in reality they are not I think about for instance Moses in Hebrews chapter 11 says when Moses came of age he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing to share ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin moses was able to see through the world and all of its allurements and all of its temptations. Well as i come to chapter 3 there's a lot of fascinating features to it. We're going to look at three things in chapter 3. If you want to outline it, we're able to outline it this and there's some key words that are in each section. Just so happens they begin with the letter t. In the first eight verses, the emphasis is going to be on time and God's plan with time. The second thing in verses 9 through 15 will be the task. What does God expect me to do with this world in which I find myself and the directions that He provides? And then finally, in verses 16 through 22, He talks about the test that God brings upon man. So the time, the task, and the test. Let's begin with the first eight verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. I know you are familiar with this section. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. This is probably the most quoted section of the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, every time I read these verses, I think back to the 1960s to a song that was performed by the birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. You may not know that the author of that song only wrote three words of the song. They are turn, turn, and turn. The rest of it is a quotation from the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You see, these words here, they just ring immortal in man's ears because we know that these are realities of life. They tell us that God created a plan. He created an order, if you will. There's a time for every purpose and every season under heaven god has designed that things happen in a certain order notice with me again verse 17 and then chapter 8 and verse 6 i said in my heart god shall judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every purpose and for every work there's a time that god wants things to occur In chapter 8 and verse 6, because for every matter there is a time and a judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. There are times when you and I find ourselves struggling to understand why things happen the way they do. And yet, God designed the world in the way He wanted it. And it's not my place, nor is it yours To look at God and say, why did you do what you are doing? If you don't understand that, I recommend you read the book of Job. And as you get to Job chapter 40 through 42, God calls Job on the carpet and says, who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? And then God puts Job on the hot seat and said, Job, you're going to answer me. You are saying, I understand all of this, when in reality you don't. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed for men once to die, and after this comes the judgment. See, God never intended us or this world to be eternal. God had a beginning time and God had an ending time, and He has a beginning time and an ending time for us as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 reflects this when it talks about God's divine plan to save man. He said, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God, a long time before this world ever was created, decided what would be right and wrong for man to participate in. And he decided that he wanted all of us to practice and be involved in good works and helping people. But don't read too much into this. Some people read this and they come away with an idea like the Calvinists do, that everything is predestinated and that everything that you and I face in this life, God has already ordered that and I can't change it one way or the other. In fact, I want you to notice chapter 7 and verse 17. He says, do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? Now let that sink in for just a moment. Don't be wicked, don't be overly foolish. Now if a person wants to die, they can go before the police officer and they can present a gun and threaten them in some way and i can assure you one thing that's a good way to take your own life nor be foolish to get on a back road on a motorcycle and drive 100 miles an hour and without a helmet on you're putting your life in your hands He said, why should you die before your time? You see, normally there is a set time for man. We're going to notice that from Psalms 90 verse 10 in just a moment. But what this means is God has a normal order of things, but you and I can do things where we break, if you will, the plan of God in the sense that we don't live as long as God planned for us to live this also represents the same cycle of life that was revealed in chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. He talked about that which is done is that which has been done, and there's no new thing under the sun. You and I recognize it just as one generation comes and uh, then passes, then comes another generation. We recognize the rain cycle. There's all kinds of cycles in this world And the question arises, just like in chapter 1, is there meaning to this cycle? Well, I think there is. All these are normal cycles of this life. What that means is, if I know that God has built this world in such a fashion, I ought to respect that. I ought to honor that. But I want you to notice, up to this point, Solomon has been using the phrase, under the sun. When he uses the phrase under the sun, he's talking about what happens on earth under this sun in which we live. But now he talks about under heaven, which represents God's part in all of this. This life has some heavenly impact. So, what's the answer to it? Make the best of what you have been given. You've been given time. How are you going to use that time? Psalm 90 verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength there are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Now listen carefully. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to... Number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. You know one thing that begins to dawn upon you is that at some point in time you look at your face, you see the wrinkles that are there, you see the whitening of the hair, you realize I'm not going to be around a whole lot longer. You begin to realize, I may have lived in this house 25 years, but I may not live 25 more years in this house. You recognize that as you look around about you, that you're drawing near the age that David speaks of in Psalm 90. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as... Fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's talking about redeeming the time. That indicates I need to make the best use of the time that I now have. If I only have a few more years to live, then I ought to make the best of the years that I have. Or Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, season with a little salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I only have so much time. I only have so much opportunity to reach those who are outside the Lord and try to persuade them to be Christians. I want to put everything I have into the time. That God has allotted me. What a powerful eight verses Solomon presented in the first part of chapter 3. Let's pick up with verse 9 and read through verse 15. And I want you to see the task that he speaks of. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of God that God does from the beginning to the end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it. That man should fear before him. That which is already been and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. Now, verse 10 speaks of the God-given task. Now, you have to step back and say, what does that really mean? God has given each of us a task to deal with our own time. What if I had been born a hundred years earlier? I would have lived in a world that didn't have all the modern conveniences that we enjoy today. We wouldn't be sitting in a building that is nearly as comfortable as this one. You probably would not have been listening to a, a, a PA system to make the voice carry. In fact, you might have come in a buggy to services. You see, in our time, many of us have privileges, we have abilities, we have opportunities. What are we doing with that time? There's a task that God has given men, but there's some challenges in that task. And do you know what those challenges are? He speaks of in verse eleven. God has made everything beautiful in its time. That harkens back to God's creation. You remember after God created man, after He created every individual thing, behold, it was very good. I used to have a poster when I was a teenager that said, God doesn't make junk. You think about that a little bit. If God has made everything beautiful in its time, there is an obligation upon me, a task, if you will, upon me, to see God's plan, His perfection in this world. Second challenge, God has put eternity, He says, in there, but that's us, in our hearts. Man yearns for the future. Man looks forward. You know, if you study carefully Acts 17 in Paul's sermon there in Athens, he talks about how God made man that he might seek after him and grope for him though He is not far from each one of us. Eternity is in our hearts. We want to live on. Yet I know I'm not going to be here eternally, but I have to understand there's something beyond this. And yet man does not understand all the works of God. Oh, I can find out some of them, but I don't know them all. I see myself in my my time and my task is to look for and appreciate what God wants out of me. But how do I respond to a task where God knows it all but I don't? What Solomon says is, look at what God gave you. God gave you the ability to eat and to drink and to enjoy the life that you have. Do you remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, verses 33 and 34? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious or do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow shall worry about the things of its own. And He says, sufficient for the day is its trouble." I've got to learn to live in the world and in the day and in the time God has given me. That's a task. Second of all, man cannot change the order of God. He can only respect it. That's what verse 14 says. I can't change God's order. When Paul looked at God's design for the salvation of the Gentiles. He was amazed. In Romans 11, verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God had His plan in mind, and I don't change it, and you don't change it. Verse 33, O oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. There's some things that God has chosen not to reveal. And I must be content, as was Job, or as should have been Job, to recognize God gave me today, God gave me this life, God gave me these opportunities, God gave me these privileges, and I need to use them as He has given them to me. The cycle has and will continue. God has judged the past, God will judge the present, and God will judge the future. So you see the time and the task, now the test. Let's look at verses 16 through 22. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, Iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart, concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see themselves, that they are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so does the other. So dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantages or advantage over animals, for all is vanity all go to one place all are from the dust and all return to dust who knows the spirit of the sons of men which goes upward and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth so i perceive that nothing is better under the sun or nothing is better than man should rejoice in his own works for that is his heritage For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Now, if you read carefully here, beginning with verse 16, he said, I saw. That's observation. You get to verse 17 and 18, and he said, I said in my heart, you see, and then you say in your heart, What Solomon is doing is he is pondering, he's looking at, he's thinking about this life and the way God deals with man and how God tests men in verse 18. Now, all of us must face this test of which he speaks. And he says... Part of this involves seeing the wickedness in the world. And you know, I look around me, and I'm sure you do too as well, and you start thinking about the wickedness of the people of the world. And he says, I look for judgment, I saw wickedness. Look for righteousness, I saw iniquity. I'm looking for the good in men, but I don't see a lot of that. This world's full of it. But verse 17, God will judge. I know He will. He said He would. Well, how will man react to it? Verse 18. But you see, when he gets to verse 19, he says there's this issue. What happens to the sons of men? What's going to happen to the people of this world? He's going to tell us two things happen. In the first one, he is going to say that man dies just like animals do. You know, there's a sad reality of life that we become attached to humans and we also become attached to animals. And we have an emotional attachment that hurts when we lose someone. But he says, you look at it and man, just like the animals, pass from this life. The body, just like the animals, has one breath and goes to one place. And what he says is, to the dust. What that means is our physical bodies all will do, just like the animals, it will return to the dust from which it came but there's a big distinction here and you shouldn't miss it. Because, he says, man's spirit goes upward. What do you mean by that? It goes upward. It goes back to God. The spirit of the animal goes back to the earth. Chapter 12, verse 7, the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Oh, there's a difference in man. You see, man was God's crown of creation because man is unique. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. God endowed man with an eternal soul. We sing the song where the soul never dies. Oh, what a comfort that is, or should be, to realize this is not all there is. And now you begin to see the task has been to see the future that God has planned for man. And the test is, will you see it? Hence, nothing is better than one should focus on his own works That means I take my test, no one else takes it for me. You take your test, no one else takes it for you. I always liked those community tests when we went to school, where the teacher would let four or five of us take a test together. You know why? Because I always wanted to pair up with smart kids. Just like playing golf, when you play the scrambles and you get to play the The best ball, that means I get to act like I hit a good hit like everybody else did. Oh, you feel like you've accomplished something. That's not the way it works eternally. Tony's going to stand and answer for everything that Tony has said or done. And I'm going to have to answer for how well I have responded to what I have learned about God and about His plan. Each man is granted time he's granted a task and he's given a test and the question is every man must face these challenges of his own time and his own place life is not perfect but i've got to concentrate on what i'm doing how i'm responding to god i want to end with a couple verses and then we'll extend the lord's invitation In Ezekiel chapter 18, there had been a a proverb spoken saying that the fathers had eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. And what Ezekiel wanted to do was to get people to realize, I don't answer for my children, nor do my children answer for me. Put it very simply as the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor shall the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. That means that you and I stand, not as our families, but as individuals before God. The final verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. What Solomon would try to say in chapter 3, there is this whole season of time. Decisions are made. Things happen. How are you going to respond to it? Let me encourage you, if you're not a Christian... Think about the things that Solomon has written. Think about your life. Think about the choices and the time that you have. One of the things that happens to so many of us is we look back with regret on opportunities that we had that we didn't take advantage of. We look back and and say, if I'd only made this choice at this time, my life might have even been better or could have been different. If you're not a Christian tonight, there's no better choice for you than to say, I'm going to make a decision tonight that I'm going to be baptized for the remission of my sins so that I can walk with God. As a child of God, those of you who are struggling with sin, why do you wait? Why do you wait for another day, another time? As the song of invitation says, oh, why not tonight? Would you come as we stand and sing